this is uh, the summer shift, part two. You can see the guy sitting on the hammock or the gal. I'm not exactly sure. You can't tell by the length of the shorts anymore. Um, and uh, he, the person sitting in the hammock looking, looking out. Um, and that is, uh, was a picture of what we might call, that's a picture of contentment. Um, and so last week we looked at, at the, an attitude of contentment. But two weeks ago we started the series on um, Pastor Mike d- gave a great message uh, of keeping a soft, a what? A soft heart. And the kind of some of the dangers of keeping a stubborn and stony heart or a hard heart. Um, and we looked at a story um, where Jesus fed uh, 4,000 people um, with a few loaves of bread with his disciples. And even though, you know, a f- you know, a few chapters before that, he had fed 5,000 people and multiplied this little boy's loaves and fishes. And now he's feeding 4,000 people. And, you know, the disciples are getting used to this just kind of miraculous, amazing ministry and time together with him, uh, and except scripture says literally the day after, this is the day after, the day after these same disciples began a discussion about being hungry with no bread. Have you been in that place before where one day you have experienced something amazing, something miraculous, you've been full of faith, and 24 hours later, you're like, where was that faith? I I where where did it go? And uh, sometimes our mind, our thinking, betrays us and gets us removed and far away from even where we were 24 hours prior. So I question that we looked at was how can a heart get hard in 24 hours? How does that happen? Well, one thing is that you know how many thoughts your mind thinks in a day. Take a guess somebody. Is it hundreds or thousands? Probably thousands. Is it thousands or tens of thousands? Probably tens of thousands. Is it millions? (laughs) For women. (laughs) No, it's, so depending on how you quantify what a thought is, and I know that's, I'm not going to descend into that, nor am I even qualified to be in that conversation. But just for the layman's terms, we think about fifty to 70,000 thoughts a day. Now, yes, I know women give voice to a lot more of those thoughts than men. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Pastor Mike, where, where are you? Uh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, but uh, you, if somebody asked you, said, well, how, uh, the int- how if you thought 60,000 thoughts, is it plausible to say that from point A, where I was feeling this way, to point B, is it plausible that 60,000 thoughts would establish some kind of a, a pattern where it'd say, hey, I, I was in faith here, but 60,000 thoughts later, I, I wasn't. Does that sound plausible? Yeah. We just think a lot more thoughts than we realize. And a high percentage are repeat thoughts from yesterday. It's amazing how many thoughts we rethink over and over and over again. And that's why Paul, he encourages us to take every thought captive 
to the obedience of Christ. That's a tall order. But it's not tall in oftentimes the way we think. We think, well, when I have this really bad sensational thought in this moment because, you know, Richard has left the water running again all week long and, all, and there's all this water that spilled out. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> it's not that one thought. It's the 49,000 little thoughts that you have all day long. Are they leading to a stony and stubborn heart, or are they leading to a tender and responsive heart? It's, it's taking captive all the little thoughts along the way. And what are we taking our thoughts obedience to? Well, it's, it's the mind of Christ. It's, it's Jesus as revealed in his word. That's why he gave us his word so that it could be an anchor. It could be a north star. It could be a firm foundation. It could be something that is completely sufficient in and of itself to bring us life and equip us for all that we need to do. So if you don't know God's word, it's hard to take every thought obedient to Christ. That's why we learn and we feed on God's word on Sunday, but also on Monday and on Tuesday and throughout the day, not just in a quiet time. That's why we think on God's word, because when we take every thought obedient to Christ, the patterns of our thinking begin to conform and Jesus is, we're allowing Jesus to do the work by the Holy Spirit in us that he longs to do, which is prophesied in Ezekiel. It says, behold, I will take out and remove your stony and stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender and responsive heart. You know, Jesus, we talked about Jesus regularly contending with people over the state of their heart. Um, and, you know, the disciples were so bothered because Jesus kept highlighting, he says, you know, you've, been, you've heard it said, and he lists all these actions like murder and adultery and um, getting right with God and making sacrifices and offerings. And he contrasts that with, he says, really the heart attitudes that are inside. He said, if you have contempt in your heart, really to the Lord, it's the same. We're, our hearts are naked before him. It, we, we, have, we don't hold anything private. And we, he's saying, you, you've kind of defined your maturity and your godliness by all the things people can see. And the Lord, right, he doesn't look to the outside like people do. He looks at, he looks at the heart. And the disciples were so bothered by this, right, they asked Jesus, is anyone going to be saved? Right? Because we can clean up our act, at least sort of, a lot of the time. But no one apart from Jesus can clean up their heart. You know, my desire is I don't want to just say grateful things. I want to be grateful. I don't want to just act kind to Mihai. I want to be kind. I don't want to just look content. I want to be content. And our role is to stay receptive to the Holy Spirit, 
to this heart work on our attitudes. Last week, we talked about these attitudes. Attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over time. It's not just, they don't just get formed in a moment. And we looked at it, it's like we rehearse these things over and over all day. 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day. We repeat these thoughts day after day. Yes, they're patterns of thinking formed over time. We talked about that attitudes are chosen. They're not personality design or spiritual gifts, right? God can give you an amazing intellect and the gift of discernment, but he didn't make you critical, right? So there are things that God gives us, and then there are things that we do with what God gives us. And our attitudes or our patterns of thinking are what we choose to do with what God gives us. Um, in, uh, and attitudes are also formed from consistency, more than intensity. And we looked at, um, let's see, my, yes, our patterns of thinking formed over time are chosen. They're not personality design or spiritual gifts. I'm getting behind on my own slides. I'm still getting used to this. We talked about, you know, some of our attitudes or our ways of thinking can be like spilling cement on our hearts. They just make it hard. And some can be like croil, like the oil that creeps, and can be like the oil of the Holy Spirit and allowing God to keep and make our hearts more tender and responsive over time. And why are these two attitudes, contentment and compassion, this week we're going to talk about compassion, why are these two attitudes so important? What? Right, it softens your heart. The way I look at it is that, you know, Jesus talked about a river of living water, Right, he, it, and a river in that kind of model. He talked about it with the woman at the well. I mean, but that river of living water, contentment is our receiving gate for that river of living water, and compassion is the attitude that's the releasing gate of that river of living water. That's why those two attitudes are so important that we practice contentment and practice compassion because it keeps the gates on that living water up. Because when the contentment gate goes down, our hearts get hard. And if it's down, how much compassion do you think we're going to have? Not much. If the contentment gate is up, how much, if we're content in him, how much living water is going to flow into our hearts? Lots. What do you think we're going to be doing with our attitude of compassion? It just comes up naturally because it has to release what it receives. But they're the gates that we have control over in many cases with our attitudes. Um, and so last week we looked at contentment, which really is, um, and the scripture we looked at was 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, um, true godliness and contentment is itself great gain. Um, and we... Uh, uh, we unpacked um, kind of that state of satisfaction that our satisfaction is in the Lord. That sometimes we have a prideful satisfaction in our own character and a selfish dissatisfaction over where we are. But an attitude of contentment has a humble dissatisfaction with our own character, recognizing that we don't have it all together that he's still working on us, that we're, in, we're still in, he's finished the work 
at the cross. And that finished work is still being finished in our hearts as we go through life. Um, that uh, we, are, we are humble, we are submitted to him, we are obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That we, our, dis, our scale of satisfaction is more open to the inside, to the work of the Lord. And that we have a holy satisfaction with God himself, his promises, and his plans for us. Um, and this week, we're going to look at compassion. So to define compassion... Compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Now, can you imagine yourself walking down the street rehearsing that thought? Although, I mean, that's just not how our minds work, right? I mean, how are we going to walk down the street saying, wow, I really need a, a more sympathetic consciousness? Is that, does, are, do any of your internal monologues have that large of words in them? Because mine, mine doesn't. Okay, we have one brother over there. He thinks sympathetic consciousness. Um, so I was asking the Lord, I was like, God, is there a way that you can help me phrase compassion so that it's not so wordy? I mean, we, and this is what he said. He said, Jeff, compassion is my heart connected to your eyes. Compassion is God's heart connected to your eyes. You can see and God's heart is connected to what you're seeing, to the people you're seeing. That's something that we can be aware of. We can, we can grasp that. We can walk in it. We can, um, we can live in that place. And that connected that connected, that's what we have control over with our attitudes. The gates of contentment and compassion. We have control over that, that, those gates. Um, but compassion is God's heart connected to your eyes. Um, so the uh, scripture we're going to look at today um, is one that I've heard some really good teaching on lately. Um, and so I'm, I, I, uh, and it's really, um, I, I want to unpack a little bit of it this morning with you just to look at the compassion of Jesus. So we're in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 12. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is after he was risen from the dead, and he had actually revealed himself um, a, a handful of times um, to his disciples uh, and to people. So they knew he had risen from the dead. Um, and this was a third time. This is another time um, later towards the end of the book. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, hey, fellas, have you uh, caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. And you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, 
It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Have you ever been in a place where you knew it was the Lord? This passage illuminates the compassion of Jesus in amazing ways. How many of you are wondering, I didn't really see the compassion of Jesus in that story right there. Where, where is Jeff going with that? Yeah, no, it's, it's totally fine. I, I had looked at that passage. I think I'd read over that passage so many times until it, it really began to sink in, um, just hearing some good teaching on it this, um, at family camp. And uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to take a look at it this morning. Well, to give you an idea of G the compassion of Jesus in this passage, how would you respond if in the hardest season of your life, your friends abandoned you? Right? Judas betrayed him. Thomas doubted Jesus. Peter disowned him three times. The rest of the disciples scattered at his, at his moment when things are the hardest and he most needs his friends, even to pray with him through the night, they're falling asleep. Like when Jesus, he wasn't married, he didn't, like his dad had passed away a number of years prior, um, the, you know, his family had scattered, his friends who really had become the closest people to him had left and really scattered and left him to face all this by himself. You know, only John showed up at the cross. Then after he had to bear everything alone, then you hear all that your friends go into hiding and they went back to the very thing you called them out of, right? Jesus, when he, when he called his disciples, where did he find them? They were fishermen. They were probably good fishermen. But he called them out and he said, hey, you've been fishing. You've been good at that. But I'm calling you to be fishers of, I'm calling you to be fishers of men. I'm calling you out onto a life quest, right? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so they, they walk with him. They live with him. They begin to have faith in him. He, uh, he invites them into ministry. He actually sends them out to do ministry. And then they come back. He sees them do it. Then he helps them to do it. He does, you know, he gives these public speeches and then pulls them aside and explains it to them and say, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is why I'm sharing this way. This is why I'm preaching this way. You guys, I'm, I'm explaining, I'm unfolding all the mysteries. He's literally investing everything he has into his friends. And after he has risen from the dead as the, the summit of all human history has been reached. 
his friends on the other side of that summit, are they still living that life quest? Are they still replicating and doing all that he asked them to do, all that they did with him? Come on, church. No. Where were they? They were fishing. They went back to the beginning. Have any of you seen The Princess Bride? Let's say one of my favorite movies. I'm still surprised it didn't win any Oscars, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. So to, for those of you who haven't seen it, the, the kind of, it's, it's a spoof, a comedy on romantic movies, but in and of itself is a romantic movie and it's heartwarming and kind of the basis is this evil prince, um, right, recruits these kind of three misfits, um, a Sicilian mastermind, uh, a giant with a child's heart, and uh, a swordsman who has a really bad daddy wound um, and is basically living a life for revenge. And he hires these three to kidnap a princess and frame another nation for it so that he can accumulate all the power in the land unto himself. And so uh, uh, after the three of them, you know, kidnap the princess, you know, the dread pirate Roberts, which is really the hero Wesley, who's masquerading as the pirate, comes and beats the uh, the swordsman at sword fighting, he beats the giant at a show of strength, he, he defeats Vicini, the Sicilian mastermind at a game of wits with Iocane powder, which is tasteless and odorless, right? Um, well, when uh, Inigo Montoya wakes up, who is the swordsman, on a quest to avenge his father's death, and he finds that Fezzik has been taken out, Vicini is dead, all the plan has kind of gone for nothing, what does he do? He goes back to the thieves' forest and is drunk outside of the same cottage, hovel, that he was called out when he was invited into this life quest. And he says, I'm going back to the beginning. Have any of you ever gone back to the beginning? You set out on something, a job, a relationship, something. You felt the leading of the Lord. Somewhere along the line, the spinning plates all fell, balls dropped, everything, and you start questioning things, you start filling in blanks, and where do you go? Back to the beginning. And, and in that way, almost denying all of the work the Lord's done in your life along the way. I found myself, I mean, I'm, none of us are immune to these types of things. Not even the people literally who spent years with Jesus himself, eating, talking daily, all the time. None of us are immune to this. But if you can imagine Jesus, how would you respond to your friends if they treated you that way? That's why we're going to talk about compassion, because we think about compassion oftentimes as, uh, hold on, we think of compassion oftentimes as something that we have for Samaritans, people on the other side of the road, people that don't think like this, people that are homeless, people that are obviously and somehow different or removed from our context, people in other parts of the world. 
And compassion should flow to those people. Absolutely. I'm not denying it. Sometimes the hardest people to live in compassion with are the people you sleep next to at night. Are your kids down the hall? Are your parents who live three doors down? Are your friends in the chairs three rows behind you? It's hardest sometimes to have compassion for those that we know well or we think we know well because we see all of the things that they don't do right. So how does Jesus respond to his friends in this passage? I'm going to take a look at a few elements of compassion. The first one, only three. Compassion starts before. The natural question to that is, before what, right? The answer is it starts before whatever the what is. It starts before the moment when you need it. You know, the monologue of Jesus wasn't populated with revenge, rehearsing disappointments, calculating what his friends deserved. He was and still is full of grace and truth. Jesus went and prepared something for them from a place of thoughtfulness and gentleness while they were in the process of going back to the beginning. Not the beginning with him, the beginning before him. He was sensitive to the humanity of their struggle, even though he was personally wounded by these same friends. What I'm saying is, is it wasn't that Jesus denied that the wounds happened. It was that he did it anyway. He was full. It wasn't that he denied the truth of what they had done. It was that the truth of grace overwhelmed what they had done. The grace, he's full of grace and truth. You know, I had a friend a few years back who had a lot of difficulty with his supervisor. Um, and, like, I mean, he would, and his supervisor was flawed. I mean, and he was always like, you know, this guy doesn't see me. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't trust me. Um, he doesn't give me room to do what I need to do. Um, and it's just like all of these things. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how long I can take it. Um, and so we'd talk you know, from time to time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we talk through it. We get to a place. We pray. We would go to the word. It's like, okay, you know, like I, I, like I see it. I can, I can keep going. And then 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, he's back thinking the same things. And a month later, we have the same conversation. And three months later, we have the same conversation. And five months later, we have the same conversation. And three years later, we have the same conversation conversation. And all along the way, every time where there'd be opportunity, where conversations might happen between my friend and his supervisor, when those moments, those, to have a crucial conversation, to have a moment where you could see real healing and Re restoration and redemption, what did he bring into those moments? All that came before. You know, when you come into that moment, 
If you come into that moment with all you've brought in before and you've rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, what's going to come out of you is not going to be living water. It will not. It won't come out. It'll blow up again and again and again and again. Compassion starts before those moments. The compassion of Jesus for his friends started before he saw them on the shore. It started, he came to that, to the shore to prepare a place, to prepare a meal, to prepare something for them. Not with a list of, you need to go get this right, you need to do this. Not, have you caught anything yet? Are you tired of living in the place where you are yet? Not with condescension, not with contempt. He came into that moment with the Father's heart connected to his eyes. And he prepared a place for them. The second thing is compassion makes room. You know, Jesus made room for his friends to believe again. Jesus made room for his friends to have a second chance or a third chance or a 70 times 7 chance. He made his room for his friends to experience blessing and to grow in trust. He didn't call out and said, guys, I'm alive. Why are you fishing? Don't you know you're not going to catch anything out there? But we've done that to our kids and to our friends. We've had those thoughts. He came and he says, hey, have you caught anything? Same words, different heart. No, we haven't caught anything. Try throwing your net on the other side. Can you imagine when they pulled the nets again? Do you think there was a connection because they had seen that happen once before? It's the goodness of God that leads us back. When they experienced that, when they in that moment, have you know you've been in a place where you haven't deserved God's grace, you haven't earned anything, like you've been messing up and you know it, and you feel the goodness of God? You know, Peter, what Peter said, he just says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And I felt that. I felt that way too. When I read this passage, and I think about the times I've yelled at my own wife, I go and I say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. And the compassion of Jesus the compassion of Jesus brings goodness first. He makes room for us to experience his goodness, to taste and see that his heart really is for us. He really does love us. You know, I had a a guy that I used to work with at, at Tech Tech, he was very difficult for me to work with. 
So much so, and he, I mean, it was difficult for a lot of people to work with. And I saw a number of people leave the company, and the reasons they left, they cited, is because they had trouble getting along with this guy. And I found myself wanting to go to my friend, who is the CEO, and address it and bring it up. And I always like felt like, I shouldn't do that. Well, I shouldn't do that. And, but I didn't have anyone to talk to. I, I ended up going, uh, getting a Christian counselor and going to counseling to deal with all of the, 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 the rehearsal of thoughts that were going on in my mind. And I just, you know, three or four times, I just unload all the junk, right? And after I had unloaded it all, I could hear, and I was like, God, you know, like, I could hear the small voice of the Lord. He said, Jeff, you're in a place and you could cause it to kind of blow up or not. And I said, because my assignment was to help my friend build his, his vision for the company. And I could undermine things in the company and I could, I could allow it to self-destruct. And th the guy's behavior was pretty bad. You know, he didn't treat people real well. And I said, you, you know, you could take it that way or you could go my way. And I was like, Lord, you got to give me your heart for him. You got to, I, I didn't have this language at the time, you know, my heart connected to your eyes, but I just asked, I was like, God, can you give me your heart for him? And he did. And I began just to relate to him differently. I began to just, to bless him, to to uh, admire his gifts, to admire his gifts and his talents and the things that God had given him in front of other people, to highlight those things, right? The Bible says to dwell on that which is praiseworthy and first, it's first pure, it's first good, it's first praiseworthy. And I started to practice that over time. And two years later, we take this, you know, 360 degree feedback survey and he scores not too high. And he comes to me and he says, Jeff, we work together really well. You, you see me differently than this, don't you? And I began to pause. yes, I see. You're capable of this. You have gifts and talents. You can be this kind of leader. You can do all this. And, 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 but I, I'm not denying that, yeah, you, this, what people have said, I mean, it, it's, it's true. But that's not who you are. That's not who God made you to be. And he looked and he said, I'm going to change. And we prayed together. And he really did change. And it's, I, I mean, it's one of those ones where I, I don't, I can't explain why it took that long or why it was that painful. I don't have those answers. The answer I do have is that the Lord changed his heart. And if I had spent those two years, I could have self-destructed my team delayed God's plan, and when I got to the moment that mattered, what would have been in my heart? You don't know when the moment that matters is coming. That's why you have to make room. That's why compassion starts before. That's why it's always before. If, if your heart, if God's heart is connected to your eyes, and that's what you've been dwelling on, in the moments that matter, his heart comes out. You don't have to think of everything you're going to say in that conversation because your heart will be in the right place. And the last one is that compassion 
invites relationship. So Jesus didn't invite his friends to a healing service. Or, I'm not saying healing services are bad. He didn't invite them to a class to learn about their dysfunction. He prepared a meal for them. He invited them to have breakfast. And Jesus also asked them to bring what they have, to add to what he has. He's extending dignity to them, value, contribution. You know, when I, I, I just had my 20-year high school reunion yesterday, getting to see some people I hadn't seen in 20 years. Some people were a lot better than I expected. One guy was still as stoned as I left him 20 years ago. <laughs> still praying for him. Still praying for him. But, you know, I was asked to write a position piece in social studies as a, I think I was a, I don't know, I was probably a junior or senior, I can't remember. And I wrote a position piece on abortion as a high schooler. And I was pounding my fist. You know, I was, I, I had all the reasons, you know, that, um, uh, and I was making a very, you know, line upon line argument against abortion. I had never spoken to anyone who had chose to have an abortion, let alone listen to anyone. But I was making this case, and I was arguing with my mom, and my mom is like, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing all of my, um, my opinions and the things that I believed, and I'm like, I'm getting into it, and I see tears coming down my mom's eyes, and I'm like, you know, what, what's going on? She's all, Jeff, you don't know who you're talking about. You don't know them. And she wasn't defending abortion. She was just saying there was no compassion in my heart. None. I had never talked with anyone. And it turns out we had a family friend who had, and I, I, I knew this person who had had an abortion. And when I'm talking to my mom, my mom is hearing my words as if she were this friend. And we don't know who we're talking about sometimes. Compassion, a heart of compassion, may have written a very similar paper lifting up the value of life and wanting to care for everyone, even those who have no voice and who aren't born yet. But it would not have railed and condemned and criticized and judged people whom we do not know. It would have sought out relationship. If I had compassion in my heart, I probably would have known and been invited into that conversation and had already been walking alongside it. And maybe, maybe, had a few more life-giving things to say. You know, to become this compassionate, we have to first receive this compassion. Before you can see yourself acting like Jesus, you have to see yourself as a friend of Jesus. You must realize Jesus sees you with the Father's heart. And he prepared for this moment with you. It didn't start when he saw you today. He has made room for you. 
and his invitation to you is come and have breakfast. It's the goodness of God that leads people. So to sum it up, you know, we look at you know, when Jesus was trying to sum up all of the teachings of the Old Testament, he says, if you can just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's it. That's what you got to remember. Well, the first part of that, to love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that is the picture of contentment. That is the gate of contentment up and allowing the living water to flow into our hearts and make all things new and keep our heart tenderhearted. And the picture of loving our neighbor as ourself is the gate of compassion up so that the living water that comes in not only nourishes and refreshes us, but continues to flow with just overflow to all those around us, including our friends who we still find back at the beginning. Prayer team, can you come forward and help me? If you need if this is speaking to you not just from kind of two places. One, if your compassion gate has been closed, maybe your contentment gate has been closed and your heart has been hard. Not in every area, but in, in an area, in one area or maybe more. Come and give it to him today. Come and receive prayer from, and be in, in agreement with um, a prayer partner this morning. Maybe you have not even, cannot see that far. And for the first time, you're really seeing the compassion of Jesus for you. That he really does love you. Come and be in agreement with a prayer partner today. Receive the compassion of So if we can all stand, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say a prayer and and pray a blessing over us. And then those, if you need to come forward, you want to come forward, please do. I'll be hanging out. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to connect with you. Um, Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful, Lord, that your heart truly is to love us. That the thoughts you rehearse over and over are full of goodness and full of grace over our life. God, I pray that our gates would be wide open that we would be content in you. That we would be compassionate to our spouses and our parents and our kids and our friends. Lord, that truly people would know that we are yours because of our love for each other. God, and I pray, God, that just the prevailing wind of joy be at our backs in this time as a church. As we're mourning loss, as we're grieving over those we have that have gone on, 
we praise your name this week today and say your mercies are new this morning. Your glory and your presence is with us even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I love you all deeply and go in the presence of the Lord.